Good morning. Psalm 62 this morning. Because I want to have some time at the end of the service and I don't want to break the spirit there, I just want to, some quick, quick business. Tonight, 6.30 here in the auditorium, the second of five Sunday nights, looking at the problem of evil, my son Steve. Just to let you know, last week there were almost 100 people here Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. Some of you may say, well, I didn't get there last week. Can I come this week? Absolutely, absolutely. You come tonight, 6.30. Second, don't forget our church picnic is Saturday, November the 2nd. We want you to mark your calendar. We want you to be there for that. Don't miss that special day, Saturday, November the 2nd. And then finally, we mentioned last week about Christmas decorations. If you have some or would like to donate or whatever, please email or see my wife, Lisa. Psalm 62, you will notice at the very heading, before we even get into the psalm, this is for the music director or the worship leader, if you will, Jedithan. And this is a psalm of David. And this is a psalm or song that was written by David when he was going through a really, really difficult time in his life. You get a sense of that when you read this psalm, but we don't truly understand all the physical things that were going on with David and all the emotional things that were going on with David simply by just this psalm alone. What we do know at this point is this. David is being hunted, yes, that's a good word to accurately describe it. David is being hunted down like an animal. There are those that literally want to just get rid of David, to murder him, okay? Now, I don't know what kind of trials or tribulations or whatever, you know, you've went through in your life and you're going through, but very few of us have ever been in that place where we literally were running, literally, we weren't figuring, we were literally, in reality, running from others for our life. They wanted to take our life and we were running, but that's where David was at as he wrote this. And what we learn through this are three things. We see the psalmist's reflection, we see the psalmist's recommendation, and we see the psalmist's realization in this psalm. I would like to begin by looking at what David is reflecting on here, and I'd actually like to look at just verses 1, 2, and then 5 and 6 for just a moment because I want you to see something here. David is declaring to us that at this time in his life, he realized once again, he reflected on once again that God alone was his hope. Notice, for God alone, verse 1, I patiently wait. He is the one who delivers me. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He is my refuge. I will not be appended. Verse 5, patiently wait for God alone, my soul. He is the one who gives me confidence. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He is my refuge. I will not be appended. Six times in those few verses, 
David is declaring how it is only in God alone that he is able to endure what he is going through. And he's doing it, notice, with a calm composure and confidence. Now think about that. We've just said, here's what David is dealing with at this time as he writes this, and yet David has this air of confidence and this calm composure in spite of the fact that there are those that are hunting him down or wanting to hunt him down like an animal and kill him. How can David have such confidence and such calm composure in the midst of this? Because God alone is his hope. You see, as Christians, many times God is part of our hope. He's where some of our hope lies, but then we also place our hope in other people and other circumstances and other maybe human institutions and whatever, and our hope isn't all wrapped up in God. And when that's the case, then we're not still going to have that air of confidence about us and that calm composure that only comes, only comes when we put our hope completely in God alone. You see, solely, that's it. I'm not trying to say, well, I'm trusting in God, but I'm also trusting in me a little bit, and I'm trusting in this person a little bit, and, and this other area. No, no, it's, David is saying, it's all on you, God. It's all on you. And the great thing is, when we put all of our hope in God, God gives us, this air of confidence, this calm composure, it's, it's one of the results. That's why if you go back up to verse 1, as David reflects here, notice he says, for God alone I patiently wait. We've sung about that this morning. We talk about that as Christians. What does it mean to patiently wait? Let me share some thoughts on that with you because we talk a lot about waiting on God. It means to silently, quietly trust God without murmuring, grumbling, or complaining. It's, it's the idea that I'm waiting because maybe in my situation, Nothing has really changed. My circumstances haven't changed any more than David's has changed. Like, they're not hunting him anymore. No, that's not the case. They are still hunting him. But David is looking to God. He is expecting God to show up in some way. He, and he understands that even before maybe his circumstances change, that David is being overcome by this calm composure and this air of confidence that is actually coming from the Lord because David is looking to God alone as his hope. It's the idea that by faith we know that God is working in a situation even though we may not be able to see it or sense it, humanly speaking. That's waiting on God. You see, all of us as Christians, at times, God doesn't do things on our timetable, does he? He doesn't ask us, you know, 
about that. God does things in the world and in the universe and in our, on his timetable, not on ours. And that's why it, it is necessary, it's absolutely essential that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to learn to wait. They did it in the Old Testament, we have to in the New Testament. We have to learn to wait and to patiently wait. And that simply means, again, to silently, quietly have that composure about myself that I know God's working even when I don't see him working, that I am placing my expectation and my hope upon him, and that I'm not going to sit there at that moment, even though maybe nothing has changed, and begin to gripe and grumble and complain against the Lord. Let's talk about that for a moment, because doesn't that bring to your mind, if you know anything about the Bible, the Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt through the leadership of Moses? It didn't matter how much God did for them. It did not matter all the great miracles and wonders that God did. They always got in a place where they began to grumble and complain and murmur against God. In fact, that was the very indictment of God against his own people of why they would wander for 40 years in the wilderness and not enter the promised land because they were a bunch of murmurers, grumblers, and complainers. As soon as they were delivered out of Egypt, it wasn't long before they started complaining, God, why didn't you just leave us back in Egypt? It was better back there. Really? You want me to take you back into slavery again, right? How soon we forget. And then they get out there and God begins to supernaturally give them water to drink. But it's not like the water of Egypt, you know. Then, then even during the, you know, God supernaturally feeds these people with this stuff called manna from heaven for 40 years. None of them ever went hungry. None of them ever went without a meal. None of them, no matter what their diet restrictions or anything was, there was even gluten-free manna, I guess. I don't know. You know? Vegan manna. I, I don't know. But I know this. Every last one of them was fed. And yet, you know, uh, we don't, you know, every day we got to eat this manna. Well, I could let you die out here of starvation, Grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. Why is that tied into waiting? Because it teaches us that when we're not willing to patiently wait upon the Lord, what we've really done is we have forgotten God. You see, complaining and that spirit of murmuring, complaining, and griping doesn't say as much about our circumstances as it does about our God. Because we've been talking here and we want to talk throughout this series about the heart of worship and being a worshiper of God and learning to worship. What, what maybe more negative way could you and I as followers of God cast our God in a bad light than when we go around life and instead of learning to patiently wait on God, we're always griping and grumbling and complaining about our life and about what we don't have and this isn't working out and all that. When people hear that, first of all, let's just talk about other believers. That's not going to encourage them any. That's not going to edify them any. 
And then you want to talk about unbelievers hearing that, people that don't even know God, and yet they're hearing the people of God, those who say, yes, I, I know God, I have a relationship with him, but we're always griping and grumbling and complaining and murmuring about something instead of patiently waiting, no matter what the circumstances. So David is saying, for God alone I patiently wait. In other words, Part of becoming a worshiper of God is never forgetting God. It is bringing him into the moment every moment of my life. It is being a worshiper of God, not just on Sunday morning between 10 and 11 o'clock at the Oasis, but being a worshiper of God Monday through Sunday, every moment of the day, each day of the week, everything. It is always bringing God and is never leaving God out of the equation, out of the situation, out of the circumstance. It is always God filling my, my field of vision. It is God front and center. It is God above and beyond anything and everything. That's worshiping God. And the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, wandered in the desert and never made it to the promised land, at least those generations, because they forgot God that in spite of what God had done for them, in spite of his great rescue and salvation and deliverance and all of that and provision for them, they continued to forget God. David says, not only do I alone patiently wait, but he is the one who delivers me. This word not only speaks about deliverance and salvation and rescue, it means he brings me victory. Now think about it. David's running for his life, and yet David says, I can experience victory in this moment. Why? Because God alone is my hope. You see, again, our victory isn't based on our circumstances or our life situations. It's based on where's our hope. And if our hope is always in the Lord alone, then we will have victory in every situation. Nothing can defeat us when God alone is our hope. He is alone my protector, David says, verse 2, my rock of strength and deliverer. He is my refuge, my strong, secure stronghold. I will not be upended. I will not be shaken. I will not be overthrown. I will not be defeated. I will not be brought down, no matter what the circumstance, because God alone is my hope, and I am patiently waiting on him. I am silently, quietly trusting in him without grumbling, complaining, murmuring, God, I'm a man after your own heart. I'm the king of your people. Why are you allowing this to happen? Notice David never says any of that. He understands that God has a purpose for this and why God is allowing it, and he is simply trusting in the Lord with all of his heart. He is not leaning unto his own understanding. He's acknowledging God in all his ways. Then look at verse 3, though. As any human being would, no matter how strong of a, of a believer or worshiper of God we are, he does turn his attention to the human beings who are bothering him. How long will you threaten a man? All of you are murderers. You're as dangerous as a leaning wall or an unstable fence. Can't be trusted. Can't be relied on. Can't depend on you. They spend all their time planning how to bring him down. <laughs> you ever been in that situation where you feel like there are those out for you? There are those in your life that are just trying to tear you down and bring you down? Well, then you and David have something in common. 
And then notice he says this, and you can't trust what they say to your face because they love to use deceit. They pronounce blessings with their mouth when they're with you, but inwardly they are uttering curses. Selah, he says, stop and think about that. And so I want you to notice the movement here as David reflects. At first, again, he, he is filled with the worship of God. But like any of us, we can, we can get distracted and our minds can start to go to our troubles and to those that are troubling us. And that's where David went. And I think it's just simply because that's who we are. You know, no matter, again, how strong we might believe in God or whatever, it, it's hard to keep our minds right there. But then there comes that point, if you and I learn to be worshipers of God, where we learn to continue to press into worship and just continue to fight for, for our minds to be centered on him and filled with him to where, you know, he fills the vision and he sort of blocks everything out, that David then comes back to that in verse 5. And he's, in a sense, reaffirming to himself as he's speaking to himself. And we talked last week how important our self-talk is. It's not just about what we listen to and what we absorb from others, what they're telling us. It's even what we tell ourselves. And part of learning to worship God is learning to have the correct self-talk. To learn to speak truth over our lives and into our lives, even as we speak to ourselves. And so notice David comes back not to dwell now on the people that are bothering him, but on the God who alone is his hope. And he repeats to himself, patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for he is the one who gives me confidence now. He gives me a reason to be hopeful each and every day, even though I'm running for my life. And can I say that this confidence, this confidence is what inspires and motivates our worship, doesn't it? I mean, when, when you and I are in the midst of a really bad situation in our life, and yet we can be hopeful and joyful, and, and we can have this air of confidence, and we can have this calm composure, don't you just want to break into worship saying, thank you, God, that in spite of what I'm going through, I can feel like this because I'm trusting in you. I mean, you and I as Christians have said, you know, for years... It's hard sometimes even for God followers to go through the things in life that we go through. How do those without God get through it? And yet in those moments when you and I, as God followers, are going through a really difficult situation, to know that, that we can still have that attitude, we can have a positive outlook, we can know that God can work all things together for good and that God is going to bring something good out of it and he's going to build something into my life and he may even touch other lives through it. I mean, it can't get any better than that when God can use the worst of our times of, of life and yet we can still be hopeful in it. It's sort of a reminder of that classic work of literature that starts out, this was the best of times, and this was the worst of times. Well, as a God follower, guess what? Even in the worst of times, we can be going through some good times too. In fact, can I say this? <clears throat> God wants us to learn to develop into being spiritual bougainvilleas. You say, what in the world has Pastor been talking about? Yeah, he's... Well... 
you and I all know living here, you know why bougainvillea thrive here? Because they are one plant that needs very, very little water, unlike other plants, and they can survive in the worst amount of soil, uh, lacking nutrients and all that. In other words, bougainvillea actually thrive in adverse conditions. It's like you can place them in the worst inhospitable place and they can still be good because they don't need very much to thrive. God wants to build his people into that to where even in the most adverse circumstances, we can still be fruitful. Well, think of Psalm 62. David was going through a terrible circumstance personally, and yet he was being spiritually fruitful through this. He was not only growing in his own personal worship of God, but notice something here. He is writing down something that has benefited the people of God for centuries. In fact, even in the midst of this, notice now the turn. We go from the psalmist's reflection to now the psalmist's recommendation in verse 8. Because notice now he doesn't keep this to himself, which is part of worship. You see, that, that, that's why, can I say, God wants us to learn to be individual, personal worshipers so that we're worshiping God all the time, every day, every moment of the day. So by the time we all get together, we're just gushing. We're just pouring out of us what, what God has been doing in our lives, and we can't keep it to ourselves because it's so real. It bubbles up within us like a spring, and it just flows out. Well, guess what? That's exactly what David's done here. After he reminds himself again about patiently waiting on God alone and God being his protector and his deliverer and his refuge, and I'm not going to be upended. I'm not going to be defeated by all this. And he repeats that in verses 5 through 7. Notice then what he says. Trust in him at all times, you people. He's basically saying, congregation, whoever will listen, trust in him at, not, not sometimes, no, no, not most of the time, trust in him at what? All times. By the way, the word trust simply means to rely upon, to put your confidence in. Or as I shared several weeks ago in the last series of messages that we did, rest all your weight upon God. That's what it means to trust God. Not part of our weight, all of our weight. On God. And then he says this there is a time in our worship of God where we're going through something and where we need to patiently wait on God and, in a sense, silently and quietly without grumbling, complaining, or murmuring or griping, just be still and know that He is God. But part of our worship isn't always silent. Part of our worship is, notice verse 8, pouring out our heart before him. Because God wants us to pray. He wants us to turn to him. He, he wants us to talk to him and communicate and commune with him. He wants to hear what is on our hearts and, and what is bothering us and what is going on in our lives. And so David invites the people of God not only to trust, but in the midst of our trust, one of the evidences that we're doing that is we will pour out our hearts before him. 
We will come before him with anything and everything and say, God, I need to talk to my heavenly father about this. I need to process this with you. And notice that part of learning to worship God is not processing apart from God. It is processing the things of my life with God. With God. The only reason we remain silent is when we know that we're not in a good place and where we're going to start griping and complaining and murmuring, and then if others hear that, that's going to cast our God in a bad light, and that's not worshiping God. That's actually bringing God and diminishing who God is when we do that. So at times when we feel like grumbling, complaining, or quiet, David's basically telling the people of God, shh, patiently wait. God is working. God's always working. Trust him. But then at the times where your composure is coming back and your air of confidence is coming back and when you know God's got you and God's got this situation in that moment, then David says, let it loose. <laughs> Cut loose before God. Let it all out. That's part of our issue today, even as God followers, is we keep too much inside of us because not only do we not talk to anybody else about our situations and our problems and our burdens and our cares, we don't even talk to God about it. And God wants his people always to pour out our hearts before him and share what's going on. Because David says at the end of verse 8, God is our shelter. He's our refuge. He's our safe place. He's where I can always run to and know that it's good there. That's worship, folks. That's worship. You see, this Heart of Worship series is not only reminding us who God is, but it's reminding us and giving us reasons every week of why I should want to live a life of worship and have a heart of worship for God. And one of the things David is saying is because God alone can give us hope in the midst of hopeless situations. Because God alone can give me an air of confidence and a calm composure, and it has nothing to do with my circumstances. Even when someone is hunting me down like an animal and chasing me and wanting to take my life, David says, I can be all good because my hope is in God alone. I want to worship a God like that. That no matter what I'm going through, even on the worst of, of times and situations in my life, that I can still have that because it's the result of my hope being placed where it needs to be placed, in God alone. But David doesn't end there. Notice after the psalmist's reflection in the first seven verses and the psalmist's recommendation in verse 8, then the psalmist's realization in verses 9 through the rest of the chapter or song. And the first thing he says is, you know what I'm realizing through all this and through my life experiences? By the way, by this time in David's life, David had been king over Israel for a long time. He was an older man now. He had a lot of life experience underneath of his feet, if you will. And David begins to share some of the things that he's realized. First of all, men are nothing but a mere breath. One of the things he's saying there is, you know these people who are chasing me and giving me a hard time? Even they're not going to be around forever. In fact, their life is so short, doesn't last. 
Even the oppression and the adversity is short-lived in comparison to eternity and to, to the God of eternity. And then he says, human beings are unreliable. Maybe these were people, the very people that are hunting him down were the people that he used to trust in. <laughs> and things have turned. Or maybe he's been looking to other people to rely upon to maybe help shoulder the load or whatever, and they can't be relied upon either. But he's getting to the better things. He says, notice, when people are weighed in a scales, all of them together are lighter than air. Put all the human beings on earth in one side of the scale, doesn't really amount to a lot of weight. And yet, isn't it interesting that today we live in a world where even one human being thinks that they can throw their weight around because they think they've got a lot of weight? <laughs> and David's saying, oh, you don't know. You, you, you have no idea how small you are compared to our God. You, you think you're this really big, important person and that the world would somehow fall apart without you? David's going, no, the world will fall apart if God doesn't take care of it, but not any of us. We're nothing on our own. And then he says in verse 10, I don't care whether we've received material things honestly or dishonestly. You can't put your confidence, you can't have your security and stability and your hope in anything material because it doesn't last either and you can't count on it. Do not trust in what you gain by oppression. Do not put false confidence in what you gain by robbery. And if wealth does increase in your life, don't become too attached to it. That's certainly true, isn't it? Seems like you get a little extra maybe income or money, and guess what? Then something around the house breaks, doesn't it? You got to pay for it. Well, I know why we got that, because we... Seems like sometimes you can never get ahead. And that's why David is saying, don't put your stability and your security and your trust and your hope in people or in anything material. But here's what you do put your hope in and why. And here are the reasons why we should want to worship God every moment of our life. Verse 11 and 12. Because God has declared and shouted out one principle, two principles I've heard from the mouth of the Lord. First of all, God is strong. You want to know real strength? You want to know true strength? Then look to the Lord. Power belongs to the Lord, not to these people. David's going, they really don't have any power per se, and the power that they do have or that they think they have is power that has been entrusted to them in a sense. It's been granted to them, but they don't have any inherent power like God has. God is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one who is mightier than anyone else. And if you and I want to be strong, then we become a worshiper of God. We become connected to God. We look to him, which is why Paul said, we all need to get to the place where we realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because his strength is, is the true strength. His power is the true power. In fact, it is the only real power in the universe is the power of God. And when we look at power today and power, power around the world and power in the nations and power that people think they have, David is saying, it's only for a second. And then their life passes away and somebody else comes on the scene. And human beings have always been wanting to grab power and have power and be powerful. And David says the only real power that's lasting is the power of God. And here's the thing. That power of God is available to you and I as God's followers every day we live. 
His power resides in us. That resurrection power that literally raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You want to know strength? Then David says, get, get connected to your God. You want to have strength in your life? Wait on the Lord. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah says to God's people? Wait on the Lord and you will renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll run and you'll not get weary. You'll walk and you will not faint. That's how we get strength, by becoming a worshiper of God and worshiping God and staying connected and staying in fellowship with him. That's where real strength lies, not in those around us who are seeking to bring us down, as David says. Real strength relies in the Lord, and he says, I'm connected to him. That's why that little shepherd boy David could go out and stand before the giant Goliath, who was obviously much bigger, much stronger physically, had all these resources and everything that David did not have. But David went out, what? In the name and power of the Lord. And that's what fell the giant, and that's what will fell our giants too, is just walk in the strength of God. But David doesn't stop there. He says, something else I've realized that God spoke into my ear. Not only that he alone is strong, but you, O oh Lord. And this is interesting. This is the only time that God is actually addressed in this whole psalm, which is very unusual. Usually, God is being addressed. Here, it's like David writes this whole psalm and pours out this whole song before the Lord. And finally, at the end, he addresses God and he says, and you, O oh Lord... <laughs> You demonstrate loyal love. Let me talk to us this morning about this because this is, this is so important. You ever heard the word loving kindness? That's really what loyal love is. First of all, let's, let's take the first word there, loyal. It means that God is always faithful He's always available. He's always accessible. It means, as Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it means, again, God's always there for us. Okay? Always. Always. But then the word love speaks about his loving kindness. Not just the fact that he loves us, but as great as God is, and this is what just... I can't even put into words what this does to me. That when we begin to think about the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the magnificence of God, that he is beyond what our minds can even comprehend. I mean, even the universe he's created, we can't even wrap our arms around. We, we don't even know how vast it is. We don't know how many stars are in the universe. All of that. God is so great. And yet this word is telling us that, that one of the reasons why God should be worshipped and, and needs to be worshipped is because as great as God is, God is willing to stoop down and get to our level. God is willing to bend down and get involved in the dust of our life, in the muck of our life, in the yuck of our life. And he's willing to come down to us and bend down and say, can I help you? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a God I want to worship. Not only a God who is almighty, who is all-powerful, who has all the strength in the universe inherent within his being, but a God who is willing to stoop down, bend down, get down to my level, 
and for each of us as individuals say, can I help you? Will you let me help you with that? And as I shared earlier, the only thing God is looking for is just in a sense a hard invitation from us because God is a perfect gentleman. God will never force himself into a life that doesn't want God to be there, doesn't want God to help. God says, you want to do this on your own? You want to fight this battle on your own? You want to walk every day on your own in your own strength and your own wisdom and all that? You want to do that without me? That is your choice. And I respect you enough as my creation that if that's what you want to do, because God gave us that freedom and that choice when he made us, then God says, go. But I want you to know this, that as you make those choices to do life without me, know this, I love you. And all you have to do is just look to me with that heart open to me, and I'll be right there. I will be right there. And I will give you all the help, all the support, all the aid, all the assistance that you need, and it's going to come from me, God the almighty God of the universe. I will come into your life, to your situation, to whatever you're dealing with, and I will give you supernatural help that only I can do. That's why David says, for you repay men for what they do. This isn't a negative statement from David. This is David basically saying what the writer of Hebrews says, that without faith it's impossible to please God, but those that seek him in faith, he is a rewarder of those who seek him, who look to him, who turn to him. He rewards us for coming to him for help because what better help could we ever have than the help of God, the support, the aid, the assistance of God? Listen, my friends, as we draw this message in this time in God's house to a close, let me remind all of us of this. We have a God who is always, always committed to us. And he is totally committed to us. You understand, what David is saying here in Psalm 62 is, God is all in with me even when I'm not all in with him. David is saying that. And there's not another human being in our life, I don't care who they are, I don't care how much they love us. I don't care how they think about us and all that. There is not another human being on the planet that could ever be what God alone can be to us because no human being is always going to be totally in with us. They're just not. No human being is always going to be able to be there for us. They just can't. But God can. God, because of who he is, can always be there for us. And God is the only one who is totally, totally committed to us at all times. There's no one else in the universe like that. And that's why David says to God's people, should we not stand in our lives and worship him because we have a God in our lives? that no matter what we're going through and when we're going through it, he is always there for us. 
And he is totally all in with us, no matter what. That should inspire us, my friends, to worship our God. So here's what I'm going to ask this morning. I know we don't have a lot of room, but we do have a little room on this side of the platform and we have a little room on that side. I just want to give the invitation, not that it's, not, it's always open, but I just want to say maybe some of you today would say, I, I want to come by faith as a, as a sort of an act of faith and say, God, I'm looking to you. I have, a, I have something going on in my life right now. I have a situation. I have a person. I have something that I'm dealing with, God, and, and, and I'm looking to you, God. I'm just putting my, my heart and I'm directing it towards you, and I know that you're going you're gonna to be there. And I want to take this time as we're worshiping you, God, and I'm, as, I'm, as we're inviting you to come because we, we want to invite God to come, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, that God will descend upon us in this place and that God will begin to minister and God will meet us where we are and God will bend down, he will stoop down and he will be exactly what we need him to be, where we need him to be. So that again, if you need wisdom, the God of wisdom is here. You need healing, the God of healing is here. You need strength, the God of strength is here. Whatever we need in any moment, the God of perseverance is here. The God who can encourage the God of encouragement is here today. God is just asking for his people, won't you look to me and invite me to come into your life and into your church today? Could we stand, please, and close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray today that whatever our minds and hearts are dealing with right now, that, God, we would be lost in you. That we would be so focused right now upon you that the world would seem to fade away. Not that we're living in denial of the reality of what we're going through or what we're dealing with at all, but that we're filling our vision so much with you, God, that you are becoming so big in our lives right now that everything else, is being seen for what place it really should occupy in our lives. And that maybe I'm realizing that it's not near as big as you are, God. That whatever I'm dealing with, even if it's a life-threatening situation like David was dealing with, that compared to you, God, you can even in those moments give me a, an air of confidence and a calm composure that cannot be found in anyone or anything else other than in you, God. So we're asking, God, that you would come right now. We invite you into this auditorium. We invite you into our lives and into our church. We invite you, God, to come in and meet with us and minister to us and be with us right where we are. And God, we thank you that in spite of your greatness, in spite of your glory, in spite of your majesty, God, you are willing to stoop down and bend down and come down to our level and be with us right here. God, all you're looking for is the invitation. God, may we give you that invitation. May we, may we invite you in, God. And for those that really need to take a step of faith this morning, 
and you need to just physically act it out. Instead of just staying there in your seat, you need to come and just sort of pour out your heart in the house of God to God. Then you do it. Have the freedom to do it, knowing that God is with you. God, would you meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.